Hello, welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. We are your hosts, John Allen and Nick Snyder, and today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite film series, Halloween, as well as its newest chapter that released this weekend, Halloween Kills. But first, John, I want to talk about a moment in pop culture history that happened this past week. Do you know what I'm talking about? I absolutely do know what you're talking about, Nick. We are talking about Captain Kirk himself. We are talking about William Shatner yeeting himself into space. Yeeting himself into space with Jeffrey Bezos. What a moment. What an emotional moment that was. I watched the video of him coming out of the capsule. And honestly, man, like, you know my tie to Star Trek. You know I love Star Trek. And although Captain Kirk isn't my captain, that's always going to be Captain Picard, I still have that strong attachment to the series as a whole. And it, oh man, I nearly teared up. Yeah, I grew I up. Him. I grew up absolutely with the original series. I love those characters. I love, I love Kirk. I love Spock. Uhura, uh, Scotty was really one of my favorites. Oh, Chekhov, right. Sulu. You, you just love these guys. And for one of them to actually be in in space, even if it's the lower level of space, it doesn't matter. Space. It is space. Wow. And, and and the thing about it that just makes me so happy, it is literally life imitating art. Because the man himself, Captain Kirk, went into space, went into orbit of planet Earth. And oh my god, it was amazing. And William Shatner has become the oldest person to actually yes, go has. into space at the age of 90. 90 years old. And one of my favorite things that I've seen, I don't know if he, if it's real or if it's uh, created. A meme that I saw of him sitting in... The- yeah, in yeah. the rocket ship, holding a sign that said "Suck it, Picard," and that that just kills me. And you know what, um, Billy, you're not listening to this. I know you're not, but you look good for ninety. Love you, man. <laughs> All right, so you're, you're on the, uh, a nickname basis with him now. You can call uh, him Billy. Huh? I can call him whatever I want. He's not listening to the show. You don't know that. He might one day. <laughs> he might, but probably not. <laughs> um, but if you are listening, uh, Mr. Shatner, then give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> DM me on Twitter. I'm your boy. Right, so let's talk about Halloween. Now, first, we have the original John Carpenter classic 1978 film, Halloween, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, written directed by John Carpenter, written produced by Deborah Hill. Absolutely fantastic movie. Fantastic score. One of the best scores, one of the most iconic scores in horror History. Which John Carpenter did himself. Yes, he did. He did the scoring for that. And it is up there. It Not just in horror, but one of the most significant iconic scores in the film. It's up there with The Exorcist. It's up there, up there with Jaws. It's up there with Star Wars, Indiana Jones. It's so recognizable and so just so creepy and, and this, so effective. This is one of the first movies that I saw going into my love of horror as an adult, as a, an older person. Because uh, Halloween came out when I was about 10 years old. Right. Uh, give or take. So, of course, at 10, I can't go and see Halloween. We of course didn't, not. We didn't even have VCRs back then. I couldn't go and rent it. My parents wouldn't have rented it for me anyway. It was rated R. There was no way I would have seen that. So I really didn't see it until uh, VHS came out, VCRs came out. I was a much older teenager. But the suspense of that movie, um, and again, not being that far away from when it was originally made, still felt fresh and new. Watching Donald Pleasance give the gravitas oh, I know. to that movie, playing Dr. Loomis, is just uh, something to behold, really. He has become a horror icon for that role, 
and what an amazing uh, ride it's been. Of course, absolutely. And one of the other great things about it is Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis really pioneered the final girl role with that movie. She was the first true final girl. And if it wasn't for Halloween, we wouldn't have a lot of the conventions, a lot of the tropes that went forward into slasher and horror as a whole in the 80s and 90s. Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, Black Christmas is the first slasher film. Yeah, it was. But Halloween really fathered a lot of what we see and what was what was taken from in horror. At the time, though, Black Christmas did not have the same je ne sais quoi that Halloween did. Yeah. Okay? Like, you, what people have to understand is when you're looking back through history, yeah, you can say that about Black Christmas. But at the time, nobody was talking about Black Christmas. It was a little independent film that was shot here in Canada. Yeah, it was. You know, I mean, it, it's a Canadian-made film. A true film. Canadian classic. <laughs> and so it didn't have the same kind of feeling the same kind of reverence surrounding it at the time right as halloween did everybody had to go see halloween it was fresh it was new it was very scary and you mentioned it about being like the father of the slasher movie right yes absolutely it's the father of the slasher movie but psycho is the grandfather of the slasher movie and of Mm -hmm. course we know that there is a a, a connection between the two movies. Absolutely. Not not a direct connection. It's not like a scripted connection, yeah. but there are connections nonetheless. We know, for instance, that Dr. Loomis, Sam Loomis, is named after a character in Psycho. That's true. We also know that Janet Lee played Marion Crane. And she's the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. Absolutely. Everybody knows Laurie that. Strode. Right. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. So we have these two scream queens in these two iconic movies. Mm -hmm. And that's just a wonderful thing to see that legacy of of Janet Lee being a scream queen and then passing the reins on to her daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis, like an heir. And that's one of the the real things is that even Psycho has had an influence on Halloween. Those point of view shots, for example, that we see at the start of Halloween. That is directly lifted out of Psycho. John Carpenter was obviously a Hitchcock fan. He did his research. He did his homework on that. And that played into it. And he probably wanted Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't know for a fact, but he probably wanted Jamie Lee Curtis in the movie because it's Janet Lee's daughter. Yeah, and you know, then they went on to do The Fog, which Janet Lee was in with Jamie yeah, Lee yeah, Curtis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, later on, since we're talking about Halloween, they revisited all of that with Halloween h 2 H2O, oh, as yeah. some people call it. I prefer to call it Halloween H20 because it is a number. It's not got, water. Yeah, it's not Halloween water. It's not a water molecule. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're getting a little off track here. Um, so John Carpenter, of course, influenced so many filmmakers to come after that point. So Absolutely. Halloween, the original Halloween, has had an enormous impact on that genre. Well, let's talk about that for a second as we're on the topic of Halloween movies. Let's look at the movie Trick or Treat. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, with with our little buddy Sam. Yeah. <laughs> love Sam. Absolutely love him. And I have to say, I have to say that he was perfectly played. I know Sam has no dialogue, but he was perfectly played by Quinn Lord. Yeah, like just the physicality in the role was fantastic. But if you look at Trick or Treat, it has a lot of John Carpenter's hallmarks all over it. The music... The shots, the way they're set up, the lighting, everything, the mood of it just feels like a Carpenter film. Well, that's also because there's a lot of John Carpenter Easter eggs in that. Yeah, I know, I know. You were telling me about Brian Cox's role. Oh, Brian Cox, uh, basically, 
based he based Mr. Creek on John Carpenter himself. That's amazing. He, I love he that. wanted to look like John Carpenter, but that's not even what I'm talking about. As you go through the Easter eggs of Trick or Treat, you can see from that opening shot that we're there on the street. You have Leslie Bibb. She's taking down the Halloween decorations. She's, she's breaking the rules that tick Sam right off. Yep. And you have that shape across the street with a white featureless mask clearly meant to emulate Michael Myers. And even the neighborhood looks like one of the Haddonfield neighborhoods. It works so well. There are nods to the fog. There's uh, when the school bus with the children is coming through. uh, When we have that past one, you see Christine is off there and the the side of the the street just kind of parked there hanging out waiting for for things to go down yep so the yeah i mean we, we feel john carpenter's influence all the way through now i want to say this i want to say this there's two things about john carpenter that i love one i love the fact that he is a skilled director he is mm-hmm. my favorite horror director and he is a tremendous musician because he has done all these compositions for the movies The other thing that I love about John Carpenter is that he has become a crusty old man. (laughs) And and I don't care. I'm not saying that as an insult. I think it's fantastic. I love the quote that he said about whenever he hears that a new or reads in the trades that a new Halloween movie is being made, something wonderful happens. He holds out his hand and a check falls in it. And that, that, that's amazing. He's he. I mean, I would love to meet him. He's such a cool guy. If he's ever at one of our local comic cons, absolutely, I am. I am there for it. I am a hundred percent there for it. Yeah, and I love this interview that I saw with him just recently talking about Halloween Kills, and I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was being asked about directing. Is oh, I, I hate directing. Directing is it's all you got all this responsibility. This time, all I got to do is play music, and it's wonderful. I created this music with my son, and who gives a crap about directing anymore? And of course, I'm teasing out of love because I love John Carpenter so much. I love his movies. I love his talent. I love what he has brought to the horror table. He is a horror icon, both as director and a musician, and God bless him. Yeah, and he, he deserves so much respect. He's a brilliant director. He knows how to set up a shot. He knows how to create atmosphere. And there's no horror director, at least no modern horror director, that is as good as him. So now we're going to move on. We're going to follow uh, the Laurie Strode new timeline. So we're going to forget about uh, H. 20 mm-hmm. and we're going to go right into halloween 2018 as we are now starting to call it even yeah. though the the name of it was just halloween i love that movie from the start especially when they start recreating the trope of the opening credits so what they did in that opening credit of halloween 2018 was brilliant mm-hmm. because it's the pumpkin right you know, and we saw that in John Carpenter's Halloween, mm-hmm. and then we see it in Halloween 2. But inside the one of Halloween 2, it splits apart, and there's that skull. Yep. So what they did in Halloween 2018, as faithful horror fans might remember, is that they had the pumpkin, it was rotted, and it reversed itself. Almost as if they're saying, hey, we're turning back the clock, we're turning back time here going back to the original Halloween, and then starting from there. Yeah, I think that's exactly the message there with that rotted pumpkin turning into a full 
jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, and it was just brilliant to see them bringing this idea in. It gave us relatable characters. I will be honest, Nick. Virginia Gardner as Vicky. I have never had such a strong reaction to a character getting killed in my life as I did with that girl. I enjoyed that character so much. Right, and so did I. And you know what I really loved? I loved her relationship with Julian, the the kid that she was babysitting. I, I loved her back and forth and their banter. It was very endearing. It was very sweet. And then when she gets killed by Michael, well, that just sucked. <laughs> yeah. And it did. And that's one thing that I think you need in a horror movie, that you need in a disaster flick, that you need in certain types of movies. You need that character that you absolutely care about, that when they die, it becomes an emotional tragedy. And we've seen so many movies, so many like slasher movies over the years, where they have these kind of copy and paste characters that exist solely to get gashed. And then you have a movie like this where... It gives you these endearing characters that you care about. And we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So let's go back to the start. So we mentioned about the, right from the opening scene, where we have these reporters from England doing a podcast like we're doing. And they are the spark that starts this new trilogy. They are the ones that go into the facility where Dr. Sartain is taking over for Dr. Loomis. Right. And they bring out the mask and the inmates go wild because they know what's going to happen. They see that spark of life in Michael when he senses the mask. Right. And that's kind of the insight. That is the inciting incident of it all. You have Michael. You have the mask. And Michael is, for all intents and purposes... Basically comatose on his feet at the start of this movie. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't said anything. But there's the mask. And he feels it. He senses it. For whatever reason, it it snaps back to the memories of that night for him. Yeah. In a way. This movie is beautifully shot in so many ways. The close-up of the foot going to that line that you cannot cross. Where he's dancing with how close can I get? And then as he's doing that, he is holding that mask out across that line, symbolizing the breaking of that mystical barrier that will set Michael in motion. So the next thing that we have to do then is meet Laurie Strode. What has happened to Laurie after that initial Halloween night where she was traumatized by the attacks and the murders of her friends by Michael Myers. So this is where the new team comes in to play brilliantly with this movie by setting all of this up, where we see the effects of trauma. We see that she has become reclusive. We see that she is living in a home that she has basically barricaded herself in and has no trunk with the rest of the world, including her own family, because they don't really want anything to do with her trauma because it's affecting their lives. She's basically become a survivalist based on the trauma that she that, that, that infected her 40 years ago. And she has become so obsessive over Michael Myers. And I think that's actually a theme of the film is just obsession. But is she's become so obsessive over that her family just won't talk to her. Yeah, and 
you know, and then as we, we move through the movie, they take their time, they marinate the story where we, we have all of the tropes that had to be included. Michael escaping, you know, with the, the inmate bus that uh, we don't know how that happened, but we come across uh, a father and his son and they are having a father-son discussion. It's a very interesting moment. It's a very unique moment to this horror film where the son is basically not having that great of a time with his father. He's not into hunting. Yeah. He's into the arts. He's having an awkward moment with his dad. It's a scary moment for him to begin with mm -hmm. because he is having an awkward conversation. And he's different from his father. His father's into the hunting. The kid clearly is into the arts and doesn't know how to tell his dad these things because he hasn't figured it out himself. Right, yeah. You know, and so now we come across the bus. We know Michael Myers has done something. We know that as fans. And what's unique in this is I think this is the first time Michael has ever killed a child. I think you're right. So right from that moment, we know that this movie, all bets are off. It's going to be brutal. Yeah, and it is brutal. A lot of the kills we see in the movie are brutal. Yeah, especially when we get to the gas station where right? the, the podcasters are. Oh my god, the way he does in the, the... I can't remember the male character's name, but the way he does him in is just intense. We see these beautiful shots where he is just killing the mechanic to get the coveralls, the iconic coveralls that he wears. And you can see that brutality happening sort of in the background. We see Michael wander into the, the gas station part of it. We see yep. him wander into the mechanics bay, completely oblivious to everybody. But they do this nice little moment that if you're sharp, you catch it, where there's the uh, older woman sitting in the van and she looks scared with her eyes indicating to the podcaster, hey, something's going on in there. We got to get out of here. And then he slips into the bathroom, and they die. They and he takes the mask, and he's got the coveralls, and he looks like Michael Myers again. And But that is a great moment that we see where he's getting that mask on, and he's putting it on. And now we are full-on Michael Myers. It game is on. He is in his final form. And that is... It's iconic. When we see him with the mask on, he, he becomes a monster. He becomes that great white shark that we... We know from the previous movies, and that really is what he is. He becomes the boogeyman. Right. And he is. Like, that's how everyone refers to him. He's the boogeyman. And we see that full realization of Michael Myers when he starts wandering through the town, going right. from house to house. And I love that scene so much. It was a single camera shot. In he comes. He sees the trick-or-treaters. He's, it, it, we get that wonderful Easter egg from Halloween 3 of the uh, Silver Shamrock masks. Right. He goes in. He's distracted. He sees the nurse. He sees the, the doctor, co the couple in the costumes. She's unsure of him. But then something gets his attention, and he is distracted from that, and off he goes. And I love this shot and this setup because as he's walking through, you can almost hear Michael thinking, I need something to kill with. What can I get? Ah, there's a hammer. In I go. Bam! Knocks the lady down. She's looking like Mrs. Elrod from Halloween 2. Right. Kills her. There's a baby in the house. 
And it doesn't kill that, though. No, but what is going to happen? We don't know. It's a nerve-wracking moment. It even is. if it's just for a split second. He gets a knife. The next house just keeps moving on. The the lady's on the phone talking to her friend. She's saying, oh, my God, these people have escaped. There's this mental uh, patient on the loose. The, the bus is over here. She's like, oh, I'm glad you told me. I'm really nervous about that. She looks out. Michael just comes along and and slits her throat. And it's just such a brutal set of scenes. It really is. And we see that. And that is what Michael is. Michael Myers is stealth. He moves stealthily. He retreats. He attacks. He comes in. He thinks. He's not like Jason, who just kind of is a powerhouse tank that just roams through and pushes everything out of his way. Yeah, Michael Myers doesn't walk through doors. Jason does. And that's kind of the the thing I love about Michael is that the way he moves around, the way he does his kills, it, it's exactly like a great white shark. A great white shark is going to circle before it kills, and that's what he's doing. You don't see the you don't see the attack coming until it comes. Yeah, and and then we get that wonderful moment where Laurie Strode comes face to face, sort of, with the boogeyman once again. She sees him in the house after. Poor Vicky has has gotten killed. Uh, we've we've got the the wonderful uh, legacy moment of Dave being stabbed to the wall, the way that Michael stabbed uh, Bob to the wall back mm-hmm. in the original. And she sees him up in the room, but it's a mirrored reflection. And she shoots, and Michael gets away, gets away from Hawkins, gets away from her, and she meets Sartain, and she says to Sartain, "Oh, you're the new Loomis." And this is the brilliance of that movie is that there is a brief moment where, and I cannot pronounce the actor's name, so I'm not going to say it, but don't anybody come for me, where the actor playing Sartain shakes his head no. But it's interpreted to the audience as being in awe of meeting Laurie. And that's where we get these wonderful moments of turning the page, of turning everything on its ear, where Sartain reveals himself to Hawkins and to Allison that he is just as out of his mind with the obsession as Michael. He wants to know what it's like to feel that power, to take a life, to kill. He even puts the mask on. Yeah, and he wa- is his whole goal is to take Michael to Laurie Strode. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. As we said, Michael did something to the bus. Right. Did he or no. did Sartain? Oh, it was 100%. I, we don't know. We don't know, but I believe it was Sartain. I think he was crazy enough to do it. So everything has been set in motion now by Sartain. Yep. He allowed the podcasters in. He allowed them to taunt Michael. He allowed them. You see him where he nods. Yes, it's okay. You can show him the mask. I want you to show him the mask. Yeah. I want him to get that boogeyman mask. I want to witness him in the destruction. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing, though. He went swimming with the shark, and <laughs> the, the shark, shark got him. him. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's it's just... A great film full of visualizations, the cops and the bonmi sandwich. It's a nice little bit of levity. I can see two guys having this conversation. Off they go, and the kills are just spectacular. 
when you see the one cop's head, and it's carved out like a jack-o'-lantern sitting there in the lap of the other one. Michael is a real artist when it comes to kills. I know, right? It's so disgusting, but so brilliant, so beautiful. You see that, and it's like, you know this version of Michael Myers is on a whole new level. And at some point, Laurie knew or felt that she would be meeting Michael again, and she has set up that entire house to be a trap for him. Yep. Now, for whatever reason, she felt he was coming for her. And I like this about the obsession, because what it really says is, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean I don't have something to be paranoid about. Oh, I know, I know. I love that, too. I love that, too. Whether it's the danger of Michael, Uh the danger of that boogeyman, or the danger of somebody else, it's a legitimate fear it is does she have the right to have created that for her family to have put her family through that no not necessarily but this now leads us in to halloween kills yeah it does now are we going to start talking about that now we are going to start talking about halloween kills because i and i have i have to make this statement nick spoiler alert Spoiler alert. If you have not seen this movie from here on in, spoiler alert. So, Nick, uh, I also have to make this statement because I wanted to love this movie so much. But I feel after watching it and then rewatching it in case I missed something, right now, somewhere in Hungary, on the set of the Munsters, Rob Zombie <laughs> is singing a cover of Glenn Fry's The Heat Is On, but calling it The Heat Is Off. Because oh. everyone is rumbling over Halloween Kills as to whether or not it was the best Halloween movie or the worst. Right, and that's kind of the thing I've seen, is that either you love this film or you hate it. And it's all for different reasons, naturally, is going to be, right? Right. Now, one of the things... Okay, I I understand your frustration. I understand your frustration with this. Okay, so first of all, let's start about what we feel they did right. Because there are all the horror hounds and the gore hounds out there that think that this is the best Halloween movie ever. That it's it's got a it's got wonderful kills in it. Then that's what they wanted. If you are a fan of the kill. If this is what you want out of your horror movie, then yes, this delivered for you. Right. And And there is nothing wrong with that. I agree with that. It had some exceptional kills and it's some really creative ones. Now, as for other things that worked, uh, you and I differ on this. We've already talked about this part of the podcast, obviously. But I felt the first act of the movie worked basically up until the point where Allison goes off with Tommy and Cameron and blah, blah, blah. I felt that it worked there. But you didn't feel the same. I thought I thought it was a good setup for what could have been, what should have been a really good classic horror film. Yes. So let, let's start. Let's back up just a minute before we get into this because we're very passionate about this. What I'm saying about this is those of you that loved Halloween Kills, you have every right to love Halloween Kills. We are not debating that. We're not getting in your face about that. What we're going to say here, though, is that we have seen on a number of groups and pages 
that if you don't love Halloween kills, those that do are really ganging up on you like the mob in the movie. I've seen people say that if you don't love Halloween Kills, you don't like the Halloween series. And I'm sorry, I love the Halloween series, but I did not like Halloween Kills. Or how can you call yourself a horror fan? So we're going to explain to you why people don't like it. We're not saying this in a condescending way. You have asked the questions, why don't people like it? This is crazy. It's wonderful. It's it's gory. It's It's all these amazing things. If you are a fan of visceral horror movies like Friday the 13th, you are going to love Halloween Kills. You're absolutely going to love it. But there are people who want a certain amount of cerebral payoff to the movie, and those people did not get it. Not at all. Not at all. The movie lacked a severe amount of substance. The dialogue, the dialogue did not live up to Halloween 2018. Like, the dialogue in Halloween 2018, you mentioned it, dialogue was good. Well, even some of the things that they did, the fault starts to lie within the story itself. They weren't consistent with the story that they started to tell in 2018. I love the concept. Mm -hmm. I love where they're going with it. Right. But one of the things that they did was that they said from the onset, we are retconning this from Halloween, from right. John Carpenter's original masterpiece. Right. Everything from Halloween 2 up until 2018 does not happen. And what did they do, John? They showed a scene that happened in Halloween 2 in the flashback with Sheriff Brackett finding Annie dead. And it's a tough, especially for our the more old school Halloween fans like us, it's a tough pill to swallow and say, well, this didn't happen. Well, clearly part of it did. And that's why I was having a problem with the flashback story. Because it's like, oh, okay, so you you say none of this happened. Fantastic. We don't need this flashback of you giving a reason for Hawkins to have guilt. And, And I know your problems with that. And I understand your problems with that. And that's where you and I differ. I didn't mind it. I didn't think it was the greatest thing ever. But I didn't mind it because it kind of filled in the blanks. Okay, but it's not even blanks that they're filling in. This is what I mean. There is no consistency in this script whatsoever with what they laid down in 2018. I don't disagree with you on that either because it just, yeah. It it felt like filler. It did. And as we're discussing that, let's get into the legacy characters that they brought in. So, Halloween 2 didn't happen, right? Right. All right. Let's talk about Nurse Marion for a minute. Let's do that. Nurse Marion. Okay. Legacy character. We we can't really discuss this anymore, uh, Team of Halloween Kills, who got rid of all of these other uh, chapters in the Halloween series. But we have to. Because Marion's retconning in H20 made a hell of a lot more sense than this one did. Yeah, she essentially was there to get killed. That was it. That was her entire purpose. She had no other purpose than to be there to get killed because she didn't get killed in the first movie. And even though she gets killed, poor poor Marion can't catch a break. Even though she gets legacy killed in Halloween H20, 
it at least made sense. She had inherited Dr. Loomis's house. She had inherited his legacy. She had moved forward. She has continued to work as a nurse. And she knows, oh, hell no. She arrives home. She sees that the house has been broken into. She wants none of it. She goes next door. Mm -hmm. She does smart things. Yeah. And her character serves the purpose of kicking off that movie. Right. Of bringing us into the past, of bringing in that wonderful overlay of Donald Pleasance's voice and the images of, of Dr. Loomis and reminding us all this is what has happened. So there's a purpose to Marion in that movie. In this movie, Halloween Kills, Marion is a psychiatric nurse. Now, I have worked with psychiatric nurses. It's par from the course what happens to them. In Halloween, where we're supposed to be taking our kickoff from, mm -hmm. Marion is not traumatized by this. Yes, something scary happened to her. Yes, something frightening happened to her. But Loomis says, are you all right? And she says, yeah, I'm fine. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Don't come at me. As Michael speeds off in the car. She gets up from that. We never see her again. It's an ordinary day. Yeah. So we've wiped out Halloween 2, where Marion shows up again, continuing to have worked, and comes back and says, Dr. Loomis, they want you back at Smith's Grove. Marion's character would not have been traumatized. And I agree with that. I agree with that. Next to that... There's no way she met Tommy and, and, and Lindsay. None that, whatsoever. That just seems so contrived. And I agree with you on that. I, I don't understand why she was in there other than she's a leg legacy character and they just wanted to throw Rightfully her off. so. She doesn't even live in Haddonfield. She lives in Smith Grove. So why would she go to Haddonfield on the night of whatever, you know? And then that cheesy line that they gave her. Oh. This is for Dr. Loomis. And that goes back to the dialogue being kind of crap. It. <sighs> I mean, how close was she to Loomis? Were they lovers? Like, what's the deal here? <laughs> like, I, I would imagine they would have been friends. I mean, in the alternate timeline, she inherited his house and okay, all this stuff. Okay, but, but were they friends? Were they work friends? There's so many questions that we start to ask now of the legacy characters yeah. because there's a big inconsistency in it. Because pieces of the puzzle start to go missing. And let's let's move on to Tommy Doyle. Now, before we get on this, I will say Anthony Michael Hall did a fantastic job. I love the way he delivered his lines. He he did he did a lot with a little. So kudos to him. But in what world and why would Tommy and Lindsay still be in Haddonfield, even if their parents decided that, well, no, we're going to stay in Haddonfield because this is where we live, after going through such a traumatic experience, I really believe that Tommy and Lindsay, at the age of 18, would get the hell out of there. Oh, absolutely, Nick. I mean, how many kids grow up, go off to university, move somewhere else because of jobs, Get married, have kids, whatever, you know. You're telling me that these two 10-year-olds, they're, they're about the same age that I was when I when Halloween came out. Yeah. That they they didn't get um, 
treatment for their trauma, that they haven't had 40 years to move on with their lives, that they haven't had 40 years to forget that trauma that happened to them, that they've, they've gone somewhere, that they're living in Alaska or Hawaii or California, that they just stayed in little old Haddonfield, and every Halloween they hatch up with this old lady that they've never met, and they go out and they, they have a few and they whoop it up and then they hang out with these strangers and he gets up there and says, oh yeah, this is the, this is the night that uh, uh, all this shit went down in, in Haddonfield and, and uh, you know, we got to raise a glass to those of us that survived. I, I don't buy it. It's, it's a hard buy. It, is it plausible? Yes. Is it probable? No, I I don't even know how Tommy and Lindsay would have found Marion, and I don't think Marion would have gone looking for them because again, it was just another day at the office for her. So what's the big deal? So you have, and, and again, and that's the mistake because if you include Halloween too, then no, it's not another day at the office for her because they went around chasing him. They got to the hospital. She saw all of this other stuff happen. She saw Loomis practically burn up. She saw all of this other stuff. But just Michael stealing the car, eh? And that—that's exactly it. Like just the start of Halloween. If we're ignoring Halloween too. Then yeah, it's just another day at the office for Marion. And I love Nurse Marion. I love her. I think she should have been the new Loomis. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Because then you have this thing that they're doing with Lori where you're you're sort of it gets into feminism and patriarchal things and all that that wonderful stuff that we're trying to do now, that we're trying to be more aware of. She could have become the new Loomis. Not necessarily to the same extent of Donald Pleasance, but saying the things like, this man, you don't understand him. He is this. He is a shark. He is uh, the boogeyman. He is all of these things. That Look at all these notes that I have. She could have given us the proper level of exposition that Loomis gave us in the original movie. And let's talk. Let's go back to Hawkins for a minute. Right. So we go to the hospital. We see a retired Sheriff Brackett who is sitting there now working as a security guard because his pension's not enough. And you're expecting me to to believe that Sheriff Lee Brackett, after his daughter was massacred, has also stayed in Haddonfield. I wouldn't. I uh, no. Especially Why? when he's retired. Yeah, I would have. I would have GTFO'd. So we have these problems with the legacy characters sort of just popping up to basically be killed. Mm-hmm. Um. And they didn't really give Brackett a whole heck of a lot to do. But they could have. The exposition that's happening between Hawkins and Laurie in the hospital room could have been exposition that happened between Brackett and Laurie. Because when Laurie's brought in on the gurney, he sits there and he the first time we see Brackett, he turns and he says, Laurie. Yeah, you're right. If that is a staying true to character, he would be in that hospital room holding her hand. Of course he would have. Of course he would have. But instead, they decided to make up a relationship between Lori and... Hawkins. Hawkins, thank you. Who should have stayed dead. Yeah, like, okay, don't get me wrong. I love Will Patton, but it's not like they gave him much to do in this movie anyway. So... I <sighs> 
Oh, because apparently he's going to be around and it's going to be him and Lori going off in Halloween ends, I'm supposing. I guess. I don't know. I just... it's We watched this movie twice. John went to see it in the theater. I watched it on Peacock. And... Outside ah. of this line. Lonnie, get your ass away from there. In what world, gentlemen, is Lonnie Elam... A friggin' legacy character. When I say gentlemen, I'm talking about the directors and the writers. Fair enough. And, and I'm saying that because I, I can't quite say their names. <laughs> uh, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, and I'll look up the other person. Give me a second. But yeah, like that's the that's the the whole thing, right? Like with the first Halloween, there weren't a terrible amount of legacy characters that survived the ordeal. And that's what I'm saying, survive the ordeal. So they had to, I guess, reach into the pantheon of background characters, which... Well, they wanted uh, the connection. I get, I get see, that. See, here's the thing. I get what they were trying to do. They were swinging to hit a home run. Absolutely. No, what do we always say, Nick? Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Fair enough. Jeff Fraidley, by the way, is the other writer. You know, the, nobody is setting out to make a bad movie. Jamie Lee Curtis is not setting out to make a bad movie. This is her legacy. Yeah. Talking about legacies. So the only legacy character that made a lick of sense to me was actually Lindsay Wallace. I agree. And to her credit, Kylie Richards did a really decent job. And again, Michael Anthony Hall uh, did a good job. Kylie Richards did a fantastic job. She was great in this. And she was given a character that wasn't a moron. When she attempted to confront Michael during the scenes where scenes where she has to confront him, she weapons up. She gets a pillowcase full of bricks. And the only thing that saves Michael is his plot armor. And she runs and she hides and she actually stays hidden and Michael doesn't catch her. So that that made sense. That made a ton of well, okay, hitting him with bricks and him staying standing didn't make sense, but still, whatever. It just oh, it's such a frustrating movie, man. Well, it's it's frustrating, and again, we are not we are taking the first part of this um, to explain why it's problematic for a lot of viewers because I know that right now we probably have the people, the gorehounds, the the uh, visceral fans. Rolling their eyes at us and probably, you know, doing the yappity yappity with their their fingers. But you have to understand something. That the people that wanted the cerebral were promised the cerebral, not your average slasher flick. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, 2018 set that up for us because 2018 was well written. It was a good script. It had good dialogue. It was a good story. And then we get... Kills, which is not a good story, it's barely a story, it's not a good script, and the dialogue is god-awful. Like it felt what happened? like filler. It really did. It felt and, like a lot of filler. And then there was scenes in it that felt like filler in the filler. Like that whole thing with, with, with the inmate that looks like the penguin. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, like, but there again, uh, there again is where they, they sort of, I, I, they were being cheeky. And what the movie feels like by the creators is self-indulgent and unfulfilled. Because 
It's like, oh, we're going to trick the audience. We're going to bring them out. If they've been paying attention, out comes our, our, our couple, the dressed as the doctor, dressed as the nurse. Out they come, and there's a patient in there. Oh, no, Michael Myers is in the car. Well, we know he's not. We know he's not. If you're a smart audience member, you know he's not. Uh-huh. Okay? So then the patient turns the car on, turns the radio on. What's playing? The Marriage of Figaro. We saw in 2018 a different character, pardon me as I emulate, I'm not making fun, the other inmate next to the penguin going, Figaro! Figaro! Yeah. That's the character that should have been in that car. I agree. Not the penguin, as we've come to call him. And that's that's the that's the inconsistency there. Although, while the, the penguins run around the hospital, I can't expect them to go, rah, 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 rah. Oh, but anyway. Yeah. It's it's these again. I get to do, but there's so much about it that doesn't work. There's so much about the the characters and what the characters are doing that doesn't work. Um, Karen falls back into being this sort of sympathetic character. Where can't we all just have love and compassion? And you know, there's. He wasn't coming for you, Mom. You you brought this to us, and then no, he didn't bring it to us. Sartain brought it to us, and and then they're they're Nick. They're having a a, a peeing contest as to whose fault it is. Yeah, and that, that that's exactly what it is. Regret has turned into who is it's become a case of one-upmanship in this movie. That's all it is. Is who who has more regret, and it it it's annoying. It is annoying, John, because. If I wanted to listen to people talk about regret, I don't think I would put on a Halloween movie. Well, but here's the interesting thing, too. is like we, we get into this idea. So they wanted, I guess, the connection between Allison and Cameron. They wanted something a little bit stronger. So they invent this. They elevate Lonnie Elam Ugh. higher than he needs to be or should have been. Couldn't he have been Tommy Doyle's kid? Maybe. That- Maybe that would have made a little bit more sense. Speaking of Tommy Doyle, before I get into this other point, there's a lot of Paul Rudd fans out there that think that Paul Rudd played Tommy Doyle better. But I will say this, going to a reach back to Halloween 6, which never happened now, that was a more logical iteration of what could have happened to Tommy in the the future of, of this than I think where we went with this character. And again, that is no shade on Michael Anthony Hall. And I agree with you on that. And the thing I liked about Paul Rudd's character in Curse was that he was traumatized. I can see that version of Paul Rudd staying put in Haddonfield because he's that affected by it. Yeah, and, and there's the idea of the obsession as well. Absolutely. Now, I, I can see this version of that Michael Anthony Hall plays of Tommy Doyle staying in Haddonfield. Sure, I can. Okay. But the idea that he be of what he became, I don't know. And it's a little hard. I don't want to say one way or the other on that. So let's move into what we did like about it, why I think other fans liked it. Because, again, as I said, I liked what they were trying to do. And one of the things that was great about the character of Tommy Doyle in this, there was that moment where he is sitting there saying, Laurie, you protected me when I was a child. I'm going to protect you now. You know, I understand why you like that. I 
wasn't a fan of it just because it it just seemed contrived. I don't know. It, well, I but it's not. I, I don't think it's contrived as much as in that's the better story that you were talking about earlier. That's where it should have gone. Where he's like, I'm going to protect you again. It gets back to the fact that why are we creating this backstory with Hawkins, which is so much worse than the backstory that of Halloween Two, when that dialogue could have happened between well, Tommy and Laurie. And that there, there's a thing. I'll, I'll agree with you on that because I think there was more of a natural connection between Tommy and Michael than there was with Hawkins and Michael because they had to insert that into into the story and there was no allusion to it in the in 2018 and it falls back on the old Hollywood movie tropes of oh I'm this cop my partner got killed I have to avenge my partner now right that right? is tired and it is old. And I, I thought that these new Halloween movies were about subverting what's been done before. Trying to do something new, something special with it. And I feel they failed. They well, failed. I also feel that, you know, I've had enough of the Halloween 3 masks. The, the silver shamrock masks. It was cute as an Easter egg in 2018. But to give it that much prominence in... Uh, Halloween Kills, it's just like, oh, okay, you did that in the other movie. That was cute. But you've got these legacy characters. Why do we need this throwback to Halloween 3? Which a lot of fans don't like. Well, that's true. That's true. I'm one of them. I am not the biggest fan of that. I've often joked that I have a uh, an abusive cyclical relationship with it. I, I will sit there and go, you know what? I don't like this movie. A couple years later, I'm like, you know what? Season of the Witch isn't that bad. I'll watch it. And then I'll watch it and realize why I don't like it. Well, I still don't think it's that bad. But here, but here's the thing. You, you can remove Halloween 3 from the franchise completely because it's nothing to do with Michael Myers. It's Correct. its own separate film. You can remove the Rob Zombie ones because that's not part of the franchise. They are their own separate films. Again, I, I started saying we're going to talk about the things that we do like we're, about it. We're doing a super good job of that. We're, well, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it is. Because I'm going to talk about one of the greatest scenes that so many Visceral fans loved, and that is the first responders scene. Oh, my God. The opening of this film. Now, first of all, I'm going to say it was beautifully filmed. The part where Michael is just standing on the deck looking at them the water's falling down the flames are in right? behind we know what's coming we know exactly what's coming but those firefighters they had an inkling they thought oh we might be in trouble here but they didn't really know the level of carnage they were about to go no, through. because they came to fight a fire and all of a sudden they have two of their brothers are down mm -hmm. they've set the alarm you know we've, we've got a mayday here and out from this inferno emerges this scary-looking beast of a person with their friends, colleagues, co-workers' tool in hand, looking like, okay, who's first? Right? And that's the, that's the impression that you get. He stands there, and he's ready to murder, and he does it. And that's kind of the neat thing about Michael Myers versus other slasher monsters, He's, he does it so surgically. He's not a complete brute. He's not the complete monster that Jason is, for example. He doesn't just doesn't slash and gash. He goes right in, and he goes for the most 
the best way to kill a person. And basically. sometimes he picks and chooses. Yeah, he does. I mean, again, there were some really creative kills in this film. There was. And you know what? I can't fault that. I love the shot from the point of view shot through the firefighters' masks. That was amazing. I loved that. I, did, I love shots that aren't expected. I mean, you see shots and you expect, okay, honestly, from, from a Halloween movie, I'm going to expect your odd POV shot. But we've never had one. I, and I might be wrong. I don't think we've ever had one from the victim's point of view. And that was a wonderful shot, a wonderful slice of horror that I think is going to be an, should be an iconic shot. Yeah, no, and you're right. I mean, we're used to seeing the shot through the mask, which Toby Hooper emulated in the funhouse. Right. Here again, like the, the, the framing of it, the language of the film, the... Everything about this is technically proficient. On the other side of that, this is where we start getting into, again, problems with the film. The producers have said that Michael Myers is not supernatural. And yet in this movie, he somehow became John Wick. Yeah, like there had to be there had to be someone at Smith Grove teaching him like high level martial arts because he goes Jackie Chan on a lot of people. It is utterly ridiculous, but we're supposed to be talking about things we like. Well, it's the it's 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 person that taught him all the, the kung fu. <laughs> same person that taught him how to drive. Oh. Uh, no, but we are, we are still talking about the things we like. But again, I still want to get back so that people understand there is a lot for people to not like about this movie. Yeah. And it's not fair for them to come at them and say, you can't say that. How can you call yourself a horror fan? There, there are so many different genres of horror. Yes, this is a slasher, but we have come to expect more from the Halloween series. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the thing. If this was a Friday the 13th film, I don't think I would have been as bothered by this because it was... We wouldn't be having this discussion. No, we wouldn't. But, but then again, outside of maybe Tommy Jarvis, what legacy characters could you ever have in Friday the 13th? That people would care about? No one. Zip, zilt, no. Yeah. Why? Because Friday the 13th is your visceral movie where you come in and it's like, okay, here's the first one. We have a story. We got a surprise ending. The killer isn't Jason. It's Pamela Voorhees. We had a nice little story. Friday the 13th Part 2. Here's more camp counselors. Kill them. Friday the 13th Part 3. Here's more camp counselors. Kill them. Right. And <laughs> yeah. that's that's kind of the thing. And let's, let's compare these characters to... What we see in Friday the 13th, I didn't give a flying fornication about any of these characters. I did not care. And but that we're supposed to because they're legacy characters. Not just legacy characters, like any of the background characters didn't care about them. And that is, with, with what 2018 set up for us, like Vicky, for example, they gave us characters to care about when they died. This movie happened, it's just like, deaths, I'm enjoying the deaths. It was such a disappointment. And, and if that's what you want out of a horror movie, then fine. That's fine. We're yeah. not saying that that's not a valid reaction to have. We're not saying that you shouldn't have felt that way. That you, We're not saying that you should have enjoyed this movie. But to come off and say it's the best, to, to ridicule people that have legitimate beefs and gripes with it, is not a cool thing, in my opinion. I agree with you. And it's it's kind of... An antithesis, antithesis to how I think. I think that if you like something, you should be more critical of it. You should look at it and go, okay, what is this thing I like? What's it done 
that's not good and what can it do to be better? Well, in this case, the writers could have done a better job of writing a coherent script. And what do I always say, Nick? It's okay to like a piece of crap as long as you acknowledge it's a piece of crap. Well, and that's exactly it. I mean, am I going to own this film? Absolutely. It's part of the Halloween series. I have all the Halloween movies. I love them. Will I sit down and watch this as part of my every year Halloween run through? Yeah. But is it my favorite Halloween film? And, you know, I'll be honest with you. Is it the worst slasher flick I've ever seen? No. Of course not. Is it the worst movie I've ever seen? No. no. But was it as good as the last Halloween? Was it as good as the No. No. Absolutely not. Well, and the problem is that it's a middle piece. So, I mean, uh, one of the... Um... One of the, the people on the groups had compared the middle piece to a middle piece like The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, but the difference is The Empire Strikes Back was good. It made sense. Yeah, it did. Okay, this feels like an old mattress that sags in the middle. Yeah, that's actually a really good way of putting it because, like, it, it just kind of went down. And that was the other problem I had with it is when I sat there on my first watch through... I was sitting there going, what's the point? Well, it got to a point for me that I was actually rolling my eyes quite a bit. And it's one of those moments where Lonnie starts going to the Myers house. And Nick, I I really had to bite my tongue because I didn't want to ruin it for anybody else in the theater. But I was this close. I was a... A hair's breadth away from shouting out, Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there! <laughs> because this character in this movie makes zero sense. I agree. Zip. I agree. He was there. He was there to die. Just like Tommy. Just like Marion. Now let's talk about what everybody's talking about. Big John and Little John. <laughs> oh, Big John and Little John. Okay, so then this is another thing where our opinions differ. I don't know. You start. Okay, so before we start, I had, I had a slight problem with the casting for Little John. Because when I see a comedian in one of these background roles... Now, I'm not saying don't cast comedians in horror movies because they can do quite well. But save that for... The main cast, the main characters, not background characters. Because when I see a comedian playing one of these underneath characters, it takes me right out of the movie. I watched two movies yesterday where that happened. One was Halloween Kills. The other one was Spiral. At the start of Spiral, you've got McMurray from Letterkenny. And I, it just, I got right back into it, but it was still a problem for me. Now, as far as the characters of, of Little John Big John go, I thought that that was a really cute, endearing example of a of a gay couple in a movie except I, that they exist again to get killed yeah, which is one of the problems yeah. that the gay community is having with movies is that while they have representation particularly in the horror movie they're there either as a joke or for the sole purpose to be part of the body count and i get that and i i understand your your outlook on that again i thought they were i thought they were an adorable couple we're not saying that they're not we're not saying that. But at the end of the day, they served one purpose, and that was it. And it, Yeah, it was the purpose of, hey, somebody's moved into the Myers house, so Michael Myers is going to come home, and he's going to kill them. They were little more than a prop. And that's kind of the problem with this movie, is that a lot of the characters 
felt like little more than a problem. And, you know, it's, it's almost becomes a bit of a joke because it's like Michael comes home and it's like, how dare you redecorate? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. They did a good job decorating. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I would hire those guys to do my house. I, I thought the, the do-over on that, I mean, that's a whole other show. Not our show, but that's a whole other show on, like, the, the decorating channel about how you can take the Myers house and revamp it. It was gorgeous. Well, that can't happen now because they're dead. Yeah. Uh, I, I just thought that, that was gorgeous. And we we had those bits of comedy where Big John picks up the little knife from the charcuterie board, and then Little John picks up the bigger knife, and we know that that is a phallic symbol, and we know who has the biggest knife of all, and he swings it large. Michael Myers. Right. So here we have these two characters that actually were a little endearing, characters that we could care about, and then they do stupid things. Yeah. And that was an ongoing thing with this movie. The characters just did stupid things. I mean, the amount of times characters split up and went alone was stupid. Characters that went into places or did things that they shouldn't have done instead of going outside and calling the police. Again, I love Little John and Big John. But with a minute they realized that somebody was in the house and it wasn't children... They should have called the police. Now, I now insane from that, the neighbor's house. From the neighbor's house. Ah. Okay, so it was frustrating. I, I think what we're having a hard time here is we're having a hard time saying what we liked about this movie because outside of the kills, there isn't much to like. Yeah. Well, I, and again, unlike you, I liked the first act of the film. I thought there was something there. And again, and, I maintain it makes zero sense. Yeah, I know that. And we liked Michael Anthony Hall's performance. The performances were fine. I'm not getting into judging how the actors interpreted script that was... Terrible. Yeah, bad yeah. dialogue. As an actor myself, it's difficult to sell bad dialogue. And I thought that they all sold bad dialogue fairly well. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of stuff that could have been cut. Like like we said, that that entire scene with the inmate running around the hospital could have been cut from the film and would have made no difference in the in the end of the plot. There was nothing to that. And it was just silly. And I felt like they ran like they ran out of ideas and said, Well, let's do this. Well, you know, I I kind I really do agree with you on that because there's that moment where Tommy sits there and says, Hey, I need some uh guys who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty, the rest of you go home and lock your, your doors. And from there, we go to the end. Let's talk about the end. I mean, we've given the spoiler warning, so let's talk about the end. So, in the end, Michael is cornered by a group of people with a lot of weapons. And they put him down. Karen stabs him in the back with a pitchfork and runs. And she brings him into this group. Everybody takes a shot at him. Baseball bats, knives, guns, the whole gamut. In he takes it all. In and typical Hollywood fashion. One at a time. One at a time. And it, and they put him down and we think that this is going to be it. Well, obviously we know it's not going to be it because there's going to be another movie. But I figured that Michael, they, they would leave him for dead and then Michael would crawl away. Because that would make sense. Or transport him off to the... The hospital or whatever. The, the morgue. But he gets up. And he gets up back on his feet and he... John wicks the hell out of the mob. Oh, he straight up mercs them all. One shots every single one of them. And I'm sitting there like, this This is not okay anymore. Because I thought we were supposed to be getting away from 
the supernatural aspect of Michael Myers that was seen in the previous ha- movies. They even have line of dialogue that says he's not a mortal man. What is the point of this? Because we've already seen the supernatural stuff before. Why retread it? Especially when they said that's not what we're doing. We're 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 taking all that away. We've taken the thorn called away. We've taken the idea that he was the sister away. We've taken all the ruins away. We've taken everything that has happened before away and going straight from 1978. And as we've seen, well, great. So you did that, but then why did you include a clip from Halloween 2 from 1981, is it? It came out? Yeah. You know, um, why did you bring in Marion Crane then? Why did you, not Marion Crane, that's Psycho, but Nurse Marion. Why did you bring in all of these characters that probably don't make sense to this story? Other than you are trying to tell a story, and there is a good story in there. I saw it. Yeah, there was a good story screaming to get out, and it didn't get out. Now, that might change with Halloween Ends. We are, of course, waiting to see that next year. We will see that. But at this point, I'm not holding out the highest hope for it. Well, the thing is, I I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I respect her talent. I respect her Hollywood legacy. I respect her craft. I respect everything about this woman. And she has made a statement that basically said, we didn't make a movie that sucked. It didn't suck. Why? Because it grossed $50 million over the weekend. Well, of course it did. It's a Halloween movie and all of the fans are going to go see it, whether it's good or not. And that's kind of the thing. Just because it grossed a ton of money at the box office doesn't mean it was good. That just means it had good marketing. It had a fan base. And again, nobody sets out to make a movie that sucks. At the end of the day, on a technical level, the camera work, the direction, even a few of the performances, there are gratifying images in this, which is why the Visceral fans love it. When you, even though I, I ripped on, okay, we've seen enough of the Halloween three masks, that scene in the park where Michael has dressed his victims and he's put the masks on them. It's almost visual, and if I see those those Halloween three masks, if I see those silver shamrock latex hood ornaments in Halloween ends, I'm going to just check right out. It's almost as if he's saying that part is dying too. I've killed that off, you know. So the, a few legacy characters are gone. A few uh, of these Easter eggs are gone. We don't need any more Easter eggs. We need to move forward. But I want to see the atmosphere. I want to see the style. They recreated that atmosphere excellently. I will give them that brownie point. I think that's what you're talking about, is the recreation of 1978 Haddonfield in those flashbacks. I agree. I agree. And the the feel of it felt consistent. Yes. It felt consistent. And can we just talk a moment for how they sort of recreated Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance? That was so cool. That actor is a guy called Tom Jones Jr. The only movie he's been in is Halloween Kills. And they did not CGI his face. They did that with makeup. So kudos to them. Kudos to Tom Jones Jr. I don't know if he was doing an impression of Loomis or what. But man, he was spot on. I think he was the the voice, I think, was the same voice actor that they used in 2018. You think so? I think so. Okay. I think so. For our money, 2018 becomes the superior movie... We do not apologize for our opinions, but we do apologize if the Visceral fans are 
unhappy with us right now. At the end of the day, this is our opinion. If you enjoyed the movie, great. We respect that you enjoyed it. We understand why you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's totally understandable. At the end of the day, I'm not just giving an opinion as a fan. I am an actor. I am a director. I am a playwright. I write movie reviews for the Harleton Empire. This isn't just me not liking it. I can understand the technicalities as to why this didn't work. Yeah. So so don't please don't come for us. Your, <laughs> your opinion is your opinion, and we respect your opinion. Because as I said to one person in, in one of the groups uh, responding, it's like, if you enjoyed the dessert and all you want is the dessert, you got the dessert. But people who wanted the rest of the meal did not get it. Now, if you do want to have a civil discourse with us about this movie or any other topics, you can check us out on Twitter. Our Twitter uh, handle is going to be linked in our profile on Spotify and whatnot, um, but it is at Area 51 and a half on Twitter. Uh, you can also check me out. Uh, you can find me on my socials, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, Snyderman501. So, bottom line is we respect the filmmakers. We respect everybody involved. We respect the craft. We respect the art. Jamie Lee Curtis, absolutely, you did not suck. The movie doesn't suck. It's problematic. Mr. Carpenter, we love... We love everything about the Halloween series. We still love the Halloween series. The final judgment, like you said, Nick, will come when we see Halloween ends, and we are both looking forward to that. That's all the time that we have for now from Area 51 and a half. Anything else you want to say before we sign off, Nick? Nope, we're good to go. So thank you for joining us at Area 51 and a half, and we will see you in two weeks. So... <laughs> You know what? Uh, I, I know we're, there's people who are going to say that, man, we are really passionate about that, but they're just as passionate about their life. Well, and yeah, that's, that's it, man. There's a lot of people out there. I want to see that. Yeah, so I want to see that.